Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at the boot camp, back at it again. Bob, I hope you're ready for the next episode, another Revive Summit edition. This time we are in the great metropolis of Mount Vernon, Illinois. Exactly right. I've driven through here many times because it is not far from my domicile there in Webster Grove, St. Louis Metro. Familiar with it, but only the truck stops. Yeah. Now we've gotten to experience not only a great church and a whole lot of great people, but some really good food. (laughs) <laughs> it was amazing tonight. I think if your church has some Mennonite women in your kitchen, you're going to win. So tonight we had, it was kind of carb fest. We had a chicken pot pie, yeah, meatloaf, lasagna, mashed potatoes, and green beans. I will confess, I tried all of those things. Well, I'm not a chicken pot pie. Never have been, never will be. That, well, I tell you what, that was one of the, if you were going to like chicken pot pie, it would be that one. <laughs> if you don't like that one, you don't like chicken pot pie. Well, I threw up chicken pot pie one time, and so that, that's ruined me from chicken pot pie. <laughs> that and green corn. <laughs> well, Bob, I'm excited. We have a guest, a good, it's becoming a good friend. We've gotten to travel. Frank Lewis was with us last August for the Replant Summit. It was really our first interaction with Frank, and now we've been doing these Revive Summits with him traveling across the country. Frank, welcome to the Replant Boot Camp. Thanks, Jimbo. Bob, man, it's great to be here. We've, we've had, uh, I told my wife last night, we have laughed and cried our way through uh, the last several days. It has been so much fun. Absolutely. Frank, just give us a quick backstory, your experience in ministry, and just share that. Because most of the boot campers probably they might not have ever heard of you because we, we have a very select and niche audience. <laughs> yes. By very select and niche, that's a nice way of saying a small audience. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I gave my heart to Christ when I was 16 years old mm. in a revival that was preached by Junior Hill. Yes. Oh, okay. That's, that's okay. A, yeah, he's okay. Uh, he's like Southern Baptist evangelism royalty. He yeah. is, yeah. And I came to know Christ and knew knew very soon after that that God was calling me to preach because I was raised in the church. I, I had just not made a profession of faith until I was a teenager. So I shared my decision with our church when I was probably 17, almost 18 years old, that, that I sensed God was calling me to preach. And this godly layman in our church named Bill Stewart said, well, Frankie, if God's called you to preach, have a sermon ready next Sunday. You're going with me to the Birmingham City Jail. Okay. And so uh, that, that was my first, you know, get your toes wet. But, you know, I just knew that afternoon when I was preaching to those men who had probably had too much to drink the night before, mm. you know, th- this is what God's called me to do. Mm, yeah. not, not drink the night before, but, <laughs> but you know, preach and that, that sort of thing. I, I, I was just like a fish in water. So I went to Samford University. After Samford, I went to New Orleans Seminary. One day sitting in chapel, the president of the Home Mission Board, which of course is now in NAM, Bob Hamlin, said, if we're ever going to have our cities won to Christ, we've got to have young men with seminary degrees who are married to wives willing to work outside the home, probably without children, hmm. and we want you to go to our big cities and start churches. 
And uh, I, I went home that day from, from seminary and told my wife about what I'd heard. She was a nurse by training, and we did not really want to start our family right away. So we, we thought, yeah, that's us. Wow. And the Lord opened up a door for us to go to Las Vegas, Nevada, mm-hmm. and start a church in a suburb of Las Vegas called Henderson, Nevada. Mm-hmm. And so we planted the Green Valley Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. And it's still there today, going strong. That's great. We're, we're so proud. And so Vegas, uh, from Vegas, then you came back towards the, I guess, not the Midwest, but the kind of the, what, what where did you move? To Nashville. Like, to Nashville. Yeah, yeah. So is that the buckle of the Bible Belt, or is it like the first notch in the belt? <laughs> well, I, I think it qualifies as the buckle. Okay. I really do. From Vegas to Nash Vegas. <laughs> yes. yes, yes, and more ways than one. I tell you what, uh, Nashville has just exploded in growth in the 25, 26 years now that we've been there. I came to Nashville to work at the Baptist Sunday School Board, which, of course, is now Lifeway. And I was in the pastor staff leadership department as the preaching and worship consultant for the convention. Mm. So I led conferences all over the United States for pastors. We would talk about preaching and pastoral health, mental health, physical health, you know, just Mm. trying to keep guys from burning out and being thrown out, that sort of thing. We started a new magazine called Let's Worship and launched it during my time at the board and got to preach in, in some great pulpits and, and just really loved that ministry. And then First Baptist Nashville called me. Uh, I was already serving as a pulpit supply in their contemporary service. And they, uh, they called me about a year and a half into my ministry at Lifeway to become their senior pastor. And I just finished a 25-year ministry there in December of mm-hmm. 21 and step down to let somebody new pick up the torch and run with it. Mm. Man, it's so great. I, I'm so excited that we get to introduce you to our boot camp listeners. And before we dive into the content, just as we have learned about Frank, Bob and I have just become fascinated with the many layers of Frank Lewis. And we have slowly learned that Frank is not only a phenomenal preacher, we learned that pretty quick, but he is a black belt in every kind of martial arts and Eagle Scout and maybe the scariest man you've ever met. (laughs) (laughs) But you wouldn't know it because Frank, your demeanor is so kind and gracious and friendly and but he could kill us if he needed to. Well, I mean, I joke about it, but honestly, I would, in an honest way, I would say, Frank, I think you embody meekness. You embody strength under control. And there's the meekness that you have comes through in your preaching. Mm-hmm. And it makes you want to just pull, lean in and, and hear everything that you have to say. Well, those are kind words, and I'm thankful if, if God has used me that way in the short time that you've known me. It's been with pastors and replanners. And, you know, I, I remember early in my days in Vegas, I went to an event where all the church planners had to attend, and it was this annual meeting. And somebody from our state convention came and, and just told us, what sorry guys we were that that we didn't deserve the oh, the five hundred dollars or three hundred dollars a month that the convention was paying us to plant churches because all we did was sit at home and prop our feet up and watch television. And I oh, thought, wow. you know, 
God, if you ever give me the chance mm. to encourage pastors, mm. help me never forget that experience because I, I knew how horrible that felt. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, help me to be able to say something that's going to be encouraging to somebody. Mm. Well, one of the things in your talk that you did for the Revive gathering here in Malvern, Illinois, is you talked about clergy self-care. And you know, even on the topic of how, how do pastors care for themselves and how do they make sure that they're taking care of their spiritual needs or physical needs, those sorts of things. Why is it that guys who are engaged in either planting or renewal, revitalization, replanting, why is it so easy for a pastor in those settings, even a traditional church, to neglect himself and his own well-being? Yeah, Bob, you know, that's such a great question. And and I think it's really got a, a fairly simple answer. And that is, you know, if you're in that role of planting, replanting, or as you said, all the demands that a pastor has to have on his shoulders, your schedule is pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. It, it becomes a taskmaster. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have early morning meetings with people who maybe that's the only time they can meet is, is for an early breakfast. Or you're going to be out late, late, late with people. You know, in Las Vegas in those days, my wife worked as a nurse. She worked the afternoon shift, 2 to 11 at the hospital. And so I would be up late when she came home, and we would talk for a couple hours, it seemed like, you know, and kind of hear about her day and that sort of thing, go to bed kind of late. And then if I were up early in the morning, it was because I had some place to go and somebody to meet or something. And so it's easy to neglect those disciplines uh, especially those those that are kind of time sensitive. You know, when you're a college student, a seminary student, you're on a schedule, mm-hmm. you're on a calendar, and you have to be at class at a certain time, and it's easier to probably do your devotions in your room or somewhere than it is when, when you're trying to do all these other things. And you get on a treadmill, and it's hard to get off of it. You'll be running. Uh, you, you've got this opportunity. You've got this meeting. You've you've got that deadline. You're you're trying to juggle so many plates all at once that I think it just becomes well. I'll I'll, I'll do that later, mm-hmm. and later never comes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I remember as a college student, I could wake up early and I could go all day and to late night. But I was a youth pastor for a while, did some lock-ins, and that ruined me. I couldn't stay up late anymore. <laughs> and then <I> got old. <laughs> lock-ins are the devil. I thank you. Amen, right? <laughs> for every lock-in you do, you lose a year of your life, uh, I at think. Least, so yeah. my time might be up next week, so I will see. <laughs> so we talked about the importance of uh, spiritual practices of prayer and scripture reading is one of the things you mentioned. Yeah. How do we how do we make sure that that gets emphasized as well as things like sleep and exercise and hanging out with friends and all of those things? Well, I, th- I think you seriously have to be so dedicated to your calendar that you're going to keep, you're going to schedule mm-hmm. uh, time for those things that are most important. Yeah. Uh, just like you would have time set aside to prepare a sermon, you're going to have to put on your calendar devotion. And, and it becomes a habit. It becomes a good habit when you practice it. So for me, years ago, I just made the decision, no Bible, no breakfast. Mm. And so I get up in the morning 
morning, I'll, I'll have a cup of coffee. Today, of course, like so many, I use Logos, and so I, I turn on my computer, and I've got a, a reading plan in my devotional for 2023. I have my prayer list for 2023, and, and it's just a very easy process for me to read through that day's scripture reading. I have a commentary, a devotional commentary that I'll read beside that. Then I spend some time going through my prayer list. I have a day timer journal that I've used since I was probably 30 years old. And so I I use my day timer page to write my thoughts about, mm-hmm. you know, what God is saying to me spiritually, those kinds of things. And then I'll, I'll spend some time on my knees. I, I think the physical posture of being on your knees is it's just as critical as anything else that's a part of my routine in the morning. And it's anything but routine. It, be- it becomes, you know, I, I know if I have missed that, my whole day is impacted. And if you miss it more than a day, if you miss it for a week, it throws a wrench in your system and your preaching shows and your parenting shows and everything else shows. And in a similar way, I schedule the other things that I have on the list. I, I exercise three days a week. I have one day that I do heavy lifting that's usually on either Friday or Saturday. You know, I'm, I'm lucky. I've, I've got a great place at home for that. So some guys might have to go to the gym. Mm-hmm. When I was pastoring First Baptist and I went to the gym, I knew more people there, you know, and everybody wanted to stop and say hello and talk. And, you know, you couldn't get your workout in unless you were ugly to people. <laughs> so uh, so I, I made the investment. I've got a, a nice, you know, cage at home and, and I, can, I can put some pretty heavy weight on it. And it's just a life-giving routine for me. Mm-hmm. The martial arts was a part of that. Not so much today. I mean, I'm 64 now, but uh, you know, in my in my 50s, I, I was I was pretty lean, and and I would I would go to class three or four times a week, and that put me with a different group of people than than church members. Mm-hmm. And these 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 became dear friends over the years, and there were guys that I sought to share Christ with and have gospel conversations with. Got to baptize you know, two or three over the years and minister to others in other ways. That's all part of it, too. But if you neglect your physical exercise, your body's going to pay for it. and Your ministry's going to pay for it because you have to have a way to get that stress out. Mm -hmm. If you don't get the stress out by physical exercise or by art or running or, you know, doing something to, that, that gets you outdoors and gets you sweating and gets the heart rate up and all that sort of stuff. It's going to shorten your ministry in the long run. Mm-hmm. Frank does not look 64. He looks like 57. Yeah, that's part of being a kung fu master. <laughs> <laughs> he mentioned something, Jimbo, that I'll, I'll explain this to you, and, and our younger listeners can Google it. A day timer is a paper organizer. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm familiar. I, okay. Yeah, I had a day timer for a long time, a physical one. Yeah. I'd only recently moved to a remarkable, yeah. That's it's just digital paper. It's yeah, not yeah, like yeah. an iPad, but I have a day timer, basically, in my remarkable. I, I do the same thing. I... I have keep my calendar in there, and then there's the page. Mm-hmm. And I use that page, yeah. and I and I work through things that are going on in my life and, and and with my soul. And I think it's just so important. I think it's one of those where I have learned because I am not a naturally 
orderly person. I am I am much more of a I mean I just prefer to go off of intuition, off my gut, whatever I feel at the moment, and I really don't like being constricted by personality, but I've just learned the benefit of if I will if if I'll choose some areas of my life to just be very rigidly disciplined, it'll actually free me up yep. in other areas. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm if I'm a little more just rigidly disciplined about having time in the word before I do anything else and getting out there, getting physically moving, sometimes getting my blood moving and getting that stress out. I would affirm that it's, there were so many moments. I remember I got in the best shape of my life in the worst season of ministry Hmm. because I remember thinking like, all right, I got to be in fighting shape because this is hard and I'm having to fight spiritual warfare. And so I can't have anything holding me back. And so I was more dedicated to physical fitness in that season of my life than I ever have been. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes it different. I think it clears your mind. I think you can handle some of the other opposition that comes your way with a sense of confidence that you're taking care of yourself your blood pressure is going to be better. You know, all, all those things that, I mean, it all works together. God, God knew what he was doing when he knit us together, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned, in addition to, you know, stuff we often hear in terms of spiritual health, spiritual disciplines, exercise, fitness, diet, those sorts of sleep, you mentioned mm-hmm. that as well. But you mentioned something that you labeled social support. Yeah. Can you unpack that for us? Oh, glad to. You know, when, when I went to Nevada, felt like I was in a season of life that in some ways was so very exciting. I had this new circle of pastor friends, and we were all in an area that was, you know, uh, it was the mission field. Oh, yeah. Southern Nevada was targeted in 1985 as the number one city that Southern Baptists needed to plant churches. And so you're out there with some seasoned, longtime Nevada pastors. And uh, we, we had a breakfast every other Tuesday morning. And it was at this little restaurant, and we'd go in there. And, of course, this is hilarious when I think back on it now. You know, we dressed up like it was a Sunday morning in a big church. You know, we all we all had our coats and ties on. And in Nevada? We, in yeah, Las Vegas? Had, this, remember what year it was. This was, this was 1985, Back then, man, if you were a pastor— that's that was the uniform, you, right? You know, it yeah, was, it was part of the uniform. You, you, you might see somebody on the side of the road that needed help, and if you pulled over and you dressed up like a pastor, they would they might let you help them, you know. So anyway, but but you got to know you got to know that circle of guys. Well, then I also arrived in Southern Nevada at the same time that a United Methodist pastor, a Lutheran pastor, a Catholic priest and an American Baptist pastor all got there in the same time, the same window, and were all trying to plant churches mm-hmm. in this same little neighborhood in Henderson called Green Valley. And we started doing, first of all, some you know Christmas community services together or a Thanksgiving service together. And, and that friendship became so critical to each one of us. We would celebrate with one another when one of us got to purchase property. Mm. We would celebrate when one of us got to build a building. Mm. We would celebrate as we would uh, see our discipleship ministries and our outreach ministries take traction. And at the same time, when we'd had a month where 
maybe everything was going wrong, and there yeah. were some of those months too, we could cry on each other's shoulders for some prayer support. And that group really was a, a great little fellowship group during that time. And I remember when I left, made my announcement that I was leaving the church to go to the Sunday school board, it was it was the American Baptist pastor who reached out to me first before any of the, you know, my Southern Baptist tribe did to just say, hey, I just wanted to pray with you and pray God's blessing on this mm. new season, that sort of thing. I'll never forget that and, and how meaningful that was to me. Mm. But those relationships will carry us in ministry. You'll pick up the phone or you'll pick up, you know, you'll send an email or a text message to a a ministry colleague and they'll get it. Whereas nobody else in the church is really kind of on your safe list to say certain things to. They're just, unfortunately, there's just some things that that we don't talk about with our personnel committee chairman or our Mm. deacon chair. Mm -hmm. But we we need an outlet. We need a brother in Christ who will pray with us and encourage us and they've licked their wounds in the past and they know what those are like. So I had that kind of group in Nevada and then in Nashville when I became pastor at First Nashville, one of the professors from a nearby university put together a little, you know, a little group. There were six of us pastors and we would go on a retreat twice a year, usually usually around November, and then again probably sometime in April. And, and we would spend two days with some assignments looking at the text of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And um, this professor taught Greek at one of our Baptist colleges, and so he would really pour himself into us. And it was kind of like sitting in a, in a doctoral seminar yeah. setting, yeah. you know, and we would, we would talk about our preaching. We'd have two days to do that. We'd have some good, good fellowship. We'd go to eat, you know, at some nice restaurants. And that became a group where we could also talk openly and freely and with some great confidence that what we were sharing wasn't going to show up in somebody else's sermon next week, that sort of thing. (laughs) Those guys treated that as a sacred trust. And I think every pastor benefits from being in a group like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What advice would you have for a guy who he does not have that kind of social support? His calendar at this point is so chaotic. He's bivocational, trying to run this church, solo pastor. He's got kids at the house. And so he's thinking when he hears this, that sounds great. How do I find the time? How do I find the guy I can trust? Because, you know, you trust the wrong pastor with your most vulnerable (laughs) thoughts, and that can burn you as well. And what advice would you have for for that listener? Well, that's a great question, Jimbo. I think that the first thing I'd want that pastor to hear is not to beat yourself up for being where you are. Mm. If you're if you're bivocational and you're trying to get this church started and you might have a young family, you know, you, you might have teenagers. There are different seasons that we go through with our children. They're unique seasons and, and they demand, you know, that they all have certain demands of us. But you can, at the same time, you can start where you are making little, small, incremental changes. And I I think the first change I would encourage is to look at your devotional life. I shared with our guys today something called the SOAP Outline, and it's from Wayne Cordero, New Life uh, Fellowship in Hawaii. I heard him at a seminar years ago, and he said, if you'll take the Scripture 
and write down your observations and application and write a prayer based on that scripture. And he says, and if you'll let that be your, your daily devotional outline, you'll never lack for something to say mm. when it comes to time to preach. Mm. So here's a bivocational pastor trying to juggle sermon preparation and all those things. Find a daily devotional that will feed your your spirit and your soul in such a way that you can you can share from the overflow. Mm. And that might address some of the time demands on sermon preparation and Bible study preparation. Mm. I think the second thing I would say is look at your diet, look at your television habits, you know, mm. that kind of thing. The whole idea of, of staying up really late at night because we're depressed or tired or depleted and too tired to go to sleep, so we just sit up and watch television for hours. You know, there's there's probably nothing on the late night television that you're going to use in a sermon. Probably not. <laughs> you know, so so your sleep your sleep's going to be much more important. So try to shoot for seven hours maybe eight if you can get them in. I think that's going to be so beneficial to you. Frank, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast with us today. Well, thanks for having me. You guys are the best. It's great to have you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.